Chapter 3 of Midshipman by Murray Leinster. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Midshipman. Chapter 3. They came to the turnoff for a town called Tenochtitlan, some forty miles from Maya City. Calhoun swung off the highway to go through it. Whoever had chosen the name Maya for this planet had been interested in the legends of Yucatan back on Earth. There were many instances of such hobbies in Medship's list of ports of call. Calhoun touched ground regularly on planets that had been named for countries and towns when men first roamed the stars, and nostalgically christened their discoveries with names suggested by homesickness. There was a Tralee and a Dorset and an Era. Colonists not infrequently took their world's given name as a pattern and chose related names for seas and peninsulas and mountain chains. On Texia the landing grid rose near a town called Corral, and the principal meatpacking settlement was named Roundup. Whatever the name Tenochtitlan would have suggested, though, was denied by the town itself. It was small, with a pleasing local type of architecture. There were shops and some factories, and many strictly private homes, some clustered close together, and others in the middles of considerable gardens. In those gardens also there was wilt and decay among the cannibal plants. There was no grass, because the plants prevented it, but now the motile plants themselves were dead. Except for the one class of killed growing things, however, vegetation was luxuriant. But the little city was deserted. Its streets were empty, its houses untenanted. Some houses were apparently locked up here, though, and Calhoun saw three or four shops whose stock in trade had been covered over before the owners departed. He guessed that either this town had been warned earlier than the spaceport city, or else they knew they had time to get in motion before the highways were filled with the cars from the west. Allison looked at the houses with keen, evaluating eyes. He did not seem to notice the absence of people. When Calhoun swung back on the great road beyond the little city, Allison regarded the endless fields of dark green plants with much the same sort of interest. Interesting, he said abruptly, when Tenochtitlan fell behind and dwindled to a speck. Very interesting. I'm interested in land. Real property, that's my business. I've a land-owning corporation on Thanet Three. I've some holdings on Dorset, too, and elsewhere. It just occurred to me. What's all this land and the city's worth, with the people all run away?" "'What?' asked Calhoun. "'Are the people worth who've run?' Allison paid no attention. He looked shrewd, thoughtful. "'I came here to buy land,' he said. "'I'd arranged to buy some hundreds of square miles. I'd buy more if the price were right. But, as things are, it looks like the price of land ought to go down quite a bit. Quite a bit.' It depends, said Calhoun, on whether there's anybody left alive to sell it to you, and what sort of thing has happened. Allison looked at him sharply. Ridiculous, he said authoritatively. There's no question of their being alive. They thought there might be, observed Calhoun. That's why they ran away. They hoped they'd be safe where they ran to. I hope they are. Allison ignored the comment. His eyes remained intent and shrewd. He was not bewildered by the flight of the people of Maya. His mind was busy with contemplation of that flight from the standpoint of a man of business. 
the car went racing onward. The endless fields of dark green rushed past to the rear. The highway was deserted, just three strips of surfaced road, mathematically straight, going on to the horizon. They went on by tens and scores of miles, each strip wide enough to allow four ground cars to run side by side. The highway was intended to allow the produce of all these fields to be taken to market or a processing plant at the highest possible speed and in any imaginable quantity. The same roads had allowed the cities to be deserted instantly the warning, whatever the warning was, arrived. Fifty miles beyond Tenochtitlan there was a mile-long strip of sheds containing agricultural machinery for crop culture and trucks to carry the crops to market. There was no sign of life about the machinery, nor in a further hour's run to westward. Then there was a city visible to the left. But it was not served by this particular highway, but another. There was no sign of any movement in its streets. It moved along the horizon to the left and rear. Presently it disappeared. Half an hour later, still, Murgatroyd said, Chee! He stirred uneasily. A moment later he said, Chee! again. Calhoun turned his eyes from the road. Murgatroyd looked unhappy. Calhoun ran his hand over the Tormal's furry body. Murgatroyd pressed against him. The car raced on. Murgatroyd whimpered a little. Calhoun's hand felt the little animal's muscles tense sharply and then relax, and after a little tense again. Murgatroyd said almost hysterically, Chee, 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 chee! Calhoun stopped the car, but Murgatroyd did not seem to be relieved. Allison said impatiently, "'What's the matter?' "'That's what I'm trying to find out,' said Calhoun. He felt Murgatroyd's pulse. The role of Murgatroyd in the medship Asclepius Twenty was not only that of charming companion in the long, isolated runs in overdrive. Murgatroyd was a part of the med service. His tribe had been discovered on a planet in the Deneb sector and men had made pets of them, to the high satisfaction of the Tormals. Presently it was discovered that veterinarians never had Tormals for patients. They were invariably in robustuous good health. They contracted no infections from other animals. They shared no infections with anybody else. The Med Service discovered that Tormals possessed a dynamic immunity to germ and bacteria-caused diseases. Even viruses injected into their bloodstreams only provoked an immediate, overwhelming development of antibodies, so that Tormals couldn't be given any known disease. Which was of infinite value to the med service. Now every medship that could be supplied with a Tormal carried a small, affectionate, whiskered member of the tribe. Men liked them, and they adored men. And when, as sometimes happened, by mutation or the simple enmity of nature, a new kind of infection appeared in human society, why, Tormals defeated it. They produced specific antibodies to destroy it. Men analyzed the antibodies and synthesized them, and they were available to all humans who needed them. So a great many millions of humans stayed alive, because Tormals were pleasant little animals with a precious genetic gift of good health. Calhoun looked at his sweep-second watch, timing the muscular spasms that Murgatroyd displayed. They coincided with irregularities in Murgatroyd's heartbeat, coming at approximately two-second intervals. The tautening of the muscles lasted just about half a second. "'But I don't feel it,' said Calhoun. 
Murgatroyd whimpered again and said, Chee! Chee! What's going on? demanded Allison, with the impatience of a very important man indeed. If the beast's sick, he's sick. I've got to find. Calhoun opened his medkit and went carefully through it until he found what he needed. He put a pill into Murgatroyd's mouth. Swallow it, he commanded. Murgatroyd resisted, but the pill went down. Calhoun watched him sharply. Murgatroyd's digestive system was delicate, but it was dependable. Anything that might be poisonous, Murgatroyd's stomach rejected instantly and emphatically. The pill stayed down. Look, said Allison indignantly, I've got business to do. In this attaché case I have millions of interstellar credits, in cash, to pay down on purchases of land and factories. I ought to make some damned good deals. And I figure that that's as important as anything else you can think of. It's a damn sight more important than a beast with a bellyache." Calhoun looked at him coldly. "'Do you own land on Texia?' he asked. Allison's mouth dropped open. Extreme suspicion and unease appeared on his face. As a sign of the unease, his hand went to the side coat pocket in which he'd put a blaster. He didn't pluck it out. Calhoun's left fist swung around and landed. He took Allison's elaborate pocket blaster and threw it away among the monotonous rows of olive-green plants. He returned to the absorbed observation of Murgatroyd. In five minutes the muscular spasms diminished. In ten, Murgatroyd frisked. But he seemed to think that Calhoun had done something remarkable. In the warmest of tones he said, Chee! Very good, said Calhoun. We'll go ahead. I suspect you'll do as well as we do, for a while. The car lifted the few inches the air column sustained it above the ground. It went on, still to the eastward. But Calhoun drove more slowly now. Something was giving Murgatroyd rhythmic muscular spasms, he said coldly. I gave him medication to stop them. He's more sensitive than we are, so he reacted to a stimulus we haven't noticed yet. But I think he'll notice it presently. Allison seemed to be dazed at the affront given him. It appeared to be unthinkable that anybody might lay hands on him. What the devil has that got to do with me? he demanded angrily. And what did you hit me for? You're going to pay for this. Until I do, Calhoun told him, you'll be quiet. And it does have the devil to do with you. There was a med-service gadget once, a tricky little device to produce contraction of chosen muscles. It was useful for restarting stopped hearts without the need of an operation. It regulated the beat of hearts that were too slow or dangerously irregular. But some businessman had a bright idea and got a tame researcher to link that gadget to ground induction currents. I suspect you know that businessman." "'I don't know what you're talking about,' snapped Allison. But he was singularly tense. "'I do,' said Calhoun unpleasantly. "'I made a public health inspection on Texia a couple of years ago. The whole planet is a single, gigantic, cattle-raising enterprise. They don't use metal fences. The herds are too big to be stopped by such things. They don't use cowboys. They cost money. On Texia they use ground induction and the med-service gadget linked together to serve as cattle fences. They act like fences, though they're projected through the ground. Cattle become uncomfortable when they try to cross them, 
So they draw back. So men control them. They move them from place to place by changing the cattle fences, which are currents induced in the ground. The cattle have to keep moving or be punished by the moving fence. They're even driven into the slaughterhouse chutes by ground induction fields. That's the trick on Texia, where induction fields herd cattle. I think it's the trick on Maya, where people are herded like cattle and driven out of their cities, so the value of their fields and factories will drop, so a land-buyer can find bargains." "'You're insane,' snapped Allison. "'I just landed on this planet. You saw me land. I don't know what happened before I got here. How could I?' "'You might have arranged it,' said Calhoun. Allison assumed an air of offended and superior dignity. Calhoun drove the car onward at very much less than the headlong pace he'd been keeping to. Presently he looked down at his hands on the steering wheel. Now and then the tendons to his fingers seemed to twitch. At rhythmic intervals the skin crawled on the back of his hands. He glanced at Allison. Allison's hands were tightly clenched. "'There's a ground induction fence in action, all right.' said Calhoun calmly. You notice? It's a cattle fence, and we're running into it. If we were cattle now, we'd turn around and move away." "'I don't know what you're talking about,' said Allison. But his hand stayed clenched. Calhoun slowed the car still more. He began to feel, all over his body, that every muscle tended to twitch at the same time. It was a horrible sensation. His heart muscles tended to contract, too, simultaneously with the rest, but one's heart has its own beat-rate. Sometimes the normal beat coincided with the twitch. Then his heart pounded violently, so violently that it was painful. But equally often the imposed contraction of the heart muscles came just after a normal contraction, and then it stayed tightly knotted for half a second. It missed a beat, and the feeling was agony. No animal would have pressed forward in the face of such sensations. It would have turned back long ago. No animal. Not even man. Calhoun stopped the car. He looked at Murgatroyd. Murgatroyd was completely himself. He looked inquiringly at Calhoun. Calhoun nodded to him, but he spoke, with some difficulty, to Allison. We'll see if this thing builds up. You know that it's the Texia trick. A ground induction unit set up here. It drove people like cattle. Now we've run into it. It's holding people like cattle." He panted. His chest muscles contracted with the rest so that his breathing was interfered with. But Murgatroyd, who'd been made uneasy and uncomfortable before Calhoun noticed anything wrong, was now bright and frisky. Medication had desensitized his muscles to outside stimuli. He would be able to take considerable electric shock without responding to it. But he could be killed by one that was strong enough. A savage anger filled Calhoun. Everything fitted together. Allison had put his hand convenient to his blaster when Calhoun mentioned Texia. It meant that Calhoun suspected what Allison knew to be true. A cattle fence unit had been set up on Maya, and it was holding, like cattle, the people it had previously driven, like cattle. Calhoun could deduce with some precision exactly what had been done. The first experience of Maya with the cattle fence would have been very mild. It would have been low power, 
causing just enough uneasiness to be noticed. It would have moved from west to east slowly, and it would have reached a certain spot and there faded out. And it would have been a mystery and an uncomfortable thing, and nobody would understand it on Maya. In a week it would almost be forgotten. But then there'd come a stronger disturbance, and it would travel like the first one. Down the length of the peninsula on which the colony lay, but stopping at the same spot as before, and then fading away to nothingness. And this also would have seemed mysterious. But nobody would suspect humans of causing it. There would be theorizing and much questioning, but it would be considered an unfamiliar natural event. Probably the third use of the cattle fence would be most disturbing. This time it would be acutely painful. But it would move into the cities and through them and past them, and it would go down the peninsula to where it had stopped and faded on two previous occasions. The people of Maya would be disturbed and scared. But they considered that they knew it began to the westward of Maya City and moved toward the east at such and such a speed and it went so far and no farther. And they would organize themselves to apply this carefully worked-out information. It would not occur to any of them that they had learned how to be driven like cattle. Calhoun, of course, could only reason that this must have happened, but nothing else could have taken place. Perhaps there were more than three uses of the moving cattle fence to get the people prepared to move past the known place at which it always faded to nothingness. They might have been days apart or weeks apart or months. There might have been stronger manifestations followed by weaker ones and then stronger ones again. But there was an inductive cattle fence across the highway here. Calhoun had driven into it. Every two seconds the muscles of his body tensed. Sometimes his heart missed a beat at the time that his breathing stopped, and sometimes it pounded violently. It seemed that the symptoms became more and more unbearable. He got out his med-kit, with hands that spasmodically jerked uncontrollably. He fumbled out the same medication he'd given Murgatroyd. He took two of the pellets. "'In reason,' he said coldly, "'I ought to let you take what this damn thing would give you. But here—' Allison had panicked. The idea of a cattle-fence suggested discomfort, of course, but it did not imply danger. The experience of a cattle fence designed for huge hoofed beasts instead of men was terrifying. Allison gasped. He made convulsive movements. Calhoun himself moved erratically. For one and a half seconds out of two he could control his muscles. For half a second at a time he could not. But he poked a pill into Allison's mouth. "'Swallow it,' he commanded. "'Swallow!' The ground-car rested tranquilly on the highway, which here went on for a mile and then dipped in a gentle incline and then rose once more. The totally level fields to right and left came to an end here. Native trees grew, trailing preposterously with long fronds. Brushwood hid much of the ground. That looked normal. But the lower, ground-covering vegetation was wilted and rotting. Allison choked upon the pellet. Calhoun forced a second upon him. Murgatroyd looked inquisitively at first one and then the other of the two men. He said, Chee! Chee! Calhoun lay back in his seat, breathing carefully to keep alive. But he couldn't do anything about his heartbeat. 
The sun shone brightly, though now it was low, toward the horizon. There were clouds in the reddened sky. A gentle breeze blew. Everything, to outward appearance, was peaceful and tranquil and commonplace upon this small world. But in the area that human beings had taken over there were cities which were still and silent and deserted, and somewhere, somewhere, the population of the planet waited uneasily for the latest of a series of increasingly terrifying phenomena to come to an end. Up to this time the strange, creeping, universal affliction had begun at one place, and moved slowly to another, and then diminished and ceased to be. But this was the greatest and worst of the torments. And it hadn't ended. It hadn't diminished. After three days it continued at full strength at the place where previously it had stopped and died away. The people of Maya were frightened. They couldn't return to their homes. They couldn't go anywhere. They hadn't prepared for an emergency to last for days. They hadn't brought supplies of food. It began to look as if they were going to starve. End of chapter 3